Open God's words to the book of Acts with me, if you would. We're only going to touch there very briefly this morning. Not because the message is brief, but because we're going to go to 1 Samuel. Last couple of weeks, we've, the sermon titles have been, Are You a Christian? And Search Me, O God. In, in Acts chapter 19, at the end of verse 1, Paul says that he found some disciples. Well, Luke wrote it, but Paul found some disciples. He didn't say that he found some followers of Christ or he found some believers, but he found some disciples. They, they didn't have the whole story. Where's Paul Harvey when you need him? They needed the rest of the story. They didn't have it. And Paul said, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And then he asked him, into what then were you baptized? Last week we, we looked into 1 John at, at length, staying with this portion, but talking about the way we need to examine our own life. In, in, in between the two Sundays we've used the, the little saying quite a bit, if, if, if somebody were to... A prosecutor was to charge you with being a Christian. Would there be enough evidence to convict you? Well, would there? Hopefully. Hopefully there would. But Paul said, when we looked in 1 John last week, to, to pass the doctrinal test, did you believe in Jesus and what he did for you? There was the ethical test, how do you walk? Okay, and here we go. Say it with me. Your talk talk and your walk talks, but your walk talks louder than your talk talks. Keep up next time, okay? But ethically, how do people see you? How, do, how does the world see you in your life? Do you live for Jesus? Do you walk in light and love? Or do you walk in self and selfishness? Then there was the experiential test. Christ's followers will know the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, you don't have Jesus. It's that plain and that simple. If you have Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit. Well, it's real easy to figure that one out because God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are one. If you got one, you got all three. It's that simple. Simple math. Boy, I've just flashed another dumb dad joke through my mind. What book of the Bible do math teachers like? Numbers. Thank you. Paul says to, to these disciples that he found in, in Acts 19, he says, examine yourselves. What do you believe? What is real in your life? Figure it out. How, how do you measure up against God's word? Use, using this as your standard. How do you measure up? If you're a Christ follower, there will be evidence of that in your life. Is there evidence in your life that you're a Christ follower and that you love Jesus, that you are willing to obey him. 
Turn with me to 1 Samuel, if you will, and we're going we're gonna to take a brief look on Father's Day at, at uh, a couple of fathers. One was Saul, and, and the other one's David. And I know already that I'm not going to read all the passages, the length ones, that I will, I will try to summarize them so that, that we can get the point across. Some of them we'll read. 1 Samuel chapter 9. Now, I got. I got to give. I got to give you just a little background. I, okay, at the beginning of Samuel, Eli is the priest. He's got two sons, Hophni and Phineas. Nothing to brag about. His dad skills did not measure up. Okay, he was priests. His sons were priests, and they made a mockery of God. They made a mockery of the temple. Nothing to be proud of. But at the beginning of 1 Samuel, there, there's also a, a, it doesn't even start, well, it talks about Hophni, Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas in verse 3, but even before that, verse 1 and 2, you, you've got a man, Elkanah, and he's got two wives. Well, that's a problem right off the bat. But anyhow, that's, that's another sermon. Man. I thought I had an ego. He thought he could handle two. Anyhow, two wives, Hannah and Peniah. And Hannah's womb was closed. That's one we could add to our list. I'm not sure if I mentioned her in each of my Sanctity of Life messages the last two Januaries or not, but she's another one of those. God, for some reason, had closed her womb. She was not able to get pregnant. But Penaniah was, and she had several kids. And what was worse was she mocked Hannah. She made fun of Hannah that she couldn't have children. Man, you talk about cold. That's just mean. That is just plain mean. But Hannah, when she'd go to the temple, she'd pray. And, and Eli was the priest that came up to her and said, Are you drunk, woman? Because she was, she was praying quietly, but, but her lips were moving. And so he assumed she was drunk. She said, no, I'm barren. I want to have a kid, and I'm asking the Lord for a kid. This is paraphrase, guys. This is really short. I mean, Reader's Digest would be proud of how condensed this is, okay? Um, the Lord gives Hannah a baby, and she keeps her word to the Lord. When she weans him, she takes him to the temple, and his name is Samuel. And he becomes the spiritual leader of the nation of Israel. And, and when Hophni and, and Phinehas die because the, the Israelites unjustly and incorrectly took the Ark of the Covenant into battle, and they're killed and they come home and dad find, dad, he, Dad's told about it. Eli, the Bible says, he's old and he's fat. And when he hears the news, not that his sons were killed, I find this interesting, a little more about his, his dad mind, mindset, he, he doesn't, he, he fought, when he hears about the Ark of the Covenant being taken by the Philistines, he falls over backwards and breaks his neck and dies. At least he had a little respect left for the, for the Ark, I guess. But he didn't, he, he, did, he didn't react that way when he, hear, he heard the news that his sons were killed. But he did hear 
when he heard that the Ark of the Covenant was gone to the, to the Philistines. Samuel's growing up. Eli dies and, and Samuel takes over as, as the high priest in the land and, and uh, he, he guides Israel. And at this time, the, the, the nation of Israel wants a king. They keep saying, we want a king. We want to be like the rest of the world. Let's see. Uh, 1 Samuel 8, 19. Nevertheless, the people refused to listen to the voice of Samuel. He gave them all the warnings. They said, he's going he's gonna to take all this stuff from you. You're going to have to pay tithe, taxes. You're going to have to give your young men and young women uh, to serve the king. Um, this is what it's going to cost you. It's not, it's not a good thing for you. God wants to be your king. Verse 19, the people refused to listen. No, we want a king over us. Verse 20, that we may be like all the nations. Dads, you don't need to be like all the dads around you. And, and we heard several times already, and, and Dan uh, Herseg mentioned it in his last uh, letter. Stand firm. Don't cave to the world. If you want to measure up, measure up to God's standards and stand firm. To do that, you've got to know God's word. So dads, you've got to get in the word. You've got to know it if you're going to use it to stand firm. They wanted to be like all the other nations. It's a bad idea. So dads, measure up, stand firm. You don't got to be like everybody else around you. But chapter 9, verses 1 and 2, Now there was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, the son of Abel, the son of Zeror, the son of Berkorath, and the son of Aphia, the son of a Benjamite, a mighty man of valor, and he had a son whose name was Saul, a choice and handsome man. And there was not a more handsome person than he among the sons of Israel. From his shoulders up, he was taller than any other people. Looking on the outside, he measured up. He was a good-looking dude. How many of you are going to sit here bragging about how good-looking you are, dads? Guys, come on. You, you are the best-looking man in the land. Well, we all think that, but we're not going to say it out loud, okay? We, every one of us think it. We're not going to say it. But somebody else claimed this for Saul about Saul. He's the best-looking dude in the land. He's head and shoulders above. He's tall. He measures up. He's what you look for in a king. Eh. Wrong answer. That's what people look for, not what God looks for. We'll get to chapter 16 in a couple minutes and the verse that goes with that. So Saul, Saul becomes the king. The, the Holy Spirit empowers him, gives him powers that, that, that were not of himself, but they were obviously of God. Chapter 10, verse 8. Samuel, the spiritual leader, obviously needs to work in unison with the, the king. And Samuel says, you'll go down there to, to, uh, before me to Gilgal, and behold, I will come down to you to offer burnt offerings and sacrifices and peace offerings. You shall wait seven days until I come to you, and I will show you what you should do. Skip over to chapter 13. Uh, verses 8 through 14. We don't want to read all of those. We'll start in verse 8. Now, he, he waited seven days according to the appointed time, 
set by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattering from him. So Saul said, bring to me the burnt offering and the peace offering, and he offered the burnt offering. Eh, wrong answer. That's not what you were supposed to do, Saul. You've disobeyed. And it came that as soon as he finished offering, <laughs> isn't that the truth? Isn't that the way God works? came about that as soon as he finished offering the burnt offering, Samuel showed up. <laughs> Dads, wait for God's timing. Wait for God's timing. It's hard to be patient. It's hard to be patient because we, we want it done now, especially in our world today with microwaves and everything's instant like that. Dads, be patient. Be patient with your kids. Be patient with your wife. Be patient with the Lord. His timing is perfect. I know you think yours is. It's not. His is. So I saw a joke the other day. He says, uh, and this is why I don't tell jokes, because I'm going to screw it up and forget half of it. Husband's talking to his wife, and he says, you know, he says, I wish women would realize that when we say we're going to do something, and, and we'll, we will get it done, they don't need to remind us every six months. <clears throat> Dads, be patient. Be patient. Most importantly, I mean, with your kids and with your wife and at work, but most importantly with the Lord. Stand firm. Know his word so that you know what to stand firm in and be patient and wait on him. Saul didn't, and he was disobedient. And, and because of this act right here, he loses the kingdom. Doesn't even go to his son Jonathan or any of his other sons. We have to be obedient. We must obey. I'm going to flip there now and you can just listen, write it down. Psalms 51 has become one of my favorite psalms. He says, O Lord, open my lips that my mouth may declare your praise. For you do not delight in sacrifice. Huh, look at that. Right back to Saul there. You do not delight in sacrifice, otherwise I would give it. You are not pleased with burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. A broken, you, you have to have a broken spirit in order to be obedient to God's words. You have to be humble. Saul says, Samuel's not here. God, I'm going to take you down and I'm going to put me on the throne because I know better than you. <clears throat> Wrong answer, dude. Wrong answer. As we move on uh, to go to, and, and now God's going to take the kingdom away from, from Saul, we, we move on to David, but... Um, Sorry, I have to readjust when I'm condensing. Um, chapter 13, verse 14. 
Samuel tells David, now your, your Saul, now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out for himself a man after his own heart, and he's obviously referring to David. I just, I just find it interesting that on Saul's way out the door, that Samuel's telling him who God's going to replace him with. Because obviously Saul was not a man after God's own heart. 1 Samuel 16, verse 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance. He's, he's gone through, through, or he's going to go through all the sons of Jesse. Do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For God does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Dude, we, we, we tried Saul, the, the best looking man in the land, and, and the tallest by far in the land, and he wasn't it. Didn't matter what he thought he measured up to. He didn't have a heart after God. He looked like what the people wanted. He looked like he would do the job. But it's not the outward appearance that God looks at. And I know that our, as, as our kids growing up, they, they wore some, some, should I use the word disturbing, <laughs> outfits to, to, to school. We let them dress themselves. The only requirement was that it had to be modest. They had to be covered. And one of our daughters <laughs> really liked the combination of orange and green together. It was one of her favorite outfits. One of my kids, and, and I've I, I got to write Guinness or somebody, because one of my, my youngest daughter, I, I believe it was her, maybe it was her and her sister together, um, started the fad of wearing non-matched socks. This was back in the early 90s, long before it came cool in this day and age. They, 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 they thought it was fun to wear, and, and I think they thought because dad was in the military and everything was straight-laced dad that, that it would drive dad nuts if they wore, you know, your socks got a match, right? And, and they thought, I, I think they tried to drive their dad nuts with that one, but the, that their socks wouldn't match. That's okay, because they were covered, they were dressed, they were modest. What was more important was their heart attitude. When they, went to, when they went to school, when they went to church. Because God wanted to know what their heart looked like. He didn't care if one sock was Valentine's and one was Halloween, or whatever colors they had on. Because he was concerned about their heart. Dads, God wants your heart. God wants your heart. If he's got your heart, it's going to be a lot easier for you to be patient. It's going to be a lot easier for you to stand firm. It's going to be a lot easier for you to be obedient in your walk with the Lord day by day. Now, we, we know that, that David was not a perfect man. Between Uriah and Bathsheba, committed adultery, 
before the whole land, murdered a man. And yet God continued to use him. Why? Because the Lord sought out for himself a man after his own heart. When Nathan came and told him the story about the rich man stealing his neighbor's sheep because somebody came in and he wanted to feed him, David said, hit him with a buck. Nathan says, you're the man. It's you that did this. And David wept. He wept over his sin. He repented. He knew he was wrong. He confessed. And, and, and just for time's sake, we won't get into it, but um, you know, there was, there was uh, chapter 15, verse 22 there in 1 Samuel. Samuel said, Has the Lord as much delight in burnt offering and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of the rams. For rebellion is as the sin of divination and insubordination is the iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. Sounds a lot like Psalm 51, but, but Samuel's finishing up with Saul there. He said, God wants an obedient heart more than he wants your sacrifice. But again... Chapter 13, verse 14, the Lord has sought out for himself a man after his own heart. David wasn't the perfect father. Any, any, any dads in here think you're the perfect dad? Don't raise your hand, please. You'll embarrass yourself. Because your wife and kids know you're not. He had some problems with Absalom, his son. And, and the way he dealt with that was, was, was not well. And, and, and his son was, was stealing uh, the, the attention of the people in, in the city gate where he was supposed to be there to, to help. He wasn't doing his job as the king. And, and, and kind of like Eli, when, when Hophni and Phinehas were, were carrying out their sin against the offering in the temple that their dad didn't address, David didn't address the issue as he should have as a dad. He should have hit it head on and said he, he kind of turned the other way and just hoped that it would go away. It cost a lot of men a lot of lives because David wouldn't deal with his disobedient, arrogant son, but David was abdicating his responsibility as his father. No, David wasn't the perfect father. God doesn't expect us to be perfect. In order for us to measure up, he wants us to stand firm in his word. He wants us to be obedient. He wants us to be patient. And he wants us to be a man after his own heart. So dads, if you want to find out if you're measuring up, use this to measure, not this, okay? Because the world, the world would use this. And they have their own standards. But this will tell you, up if you, tell you if you measure up in God's eyes. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for dads. Obviously, we all have one. Some, I'm sure, are more thankful than others. Because unfortunately, sin is, 
is in our world and, and a lot of dads care more about themselves than they do about being a dad or loving their kids. God, I just ask that you would challenge each of the dads in this room and granddads to stand firm in your word, to be obedient in it, to be patient, to be a man after God's own heart. Not easy in today's world. We'll be looked, laughed at and scorned. It's okay, God. You did a lot more than that for us. Give us boldness too, Lord. To be the dad you desire us to be. In Jesus' name, amen.